Um, and what I want your listeners to hear very, very clearly from me is <laughs> you did the right thing. You made the right call. You did the right thing. You are about to enter a profession that will offer you like untold challenge and meaning and community. Uh, and you have the potential to be really, really happy here. Welcome back listeners to The Law School Show. My name is Maddie and I will be your host for today's episode. I am so excited to be speaking with the talented Danielle Robitaille, a leading trial defense lawyer in Canada, a partner at Hen and Hutchinson's LLP in Toronto, and the host for the legal podcast, The Lawyer's Lounge. Danielle has worked alongside the great Marie Hennen and Scott Hutchinson, and together the firm has worked on some of the most high profile cases in Canada. And today I have the privilege of speaking with her and asking for some advice for us law students and young lawyers. A huge thank you to Eamon Publishing for making this conversation possible. This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Are you a law student with an interest in criminal or immigration law? Would you like a free, fun, and informative way of keeping abreast of major changes? Learn advocacy tips and get exposure to the brightest minds in these important practice areas. Iman Publishing, a proud sponsor of The Law School Show, produces two podcasts that will inform and entertain. The Lawyer's Lounge is a criminal law-focused podcast hosted by the esteemed Daniel Robitaille. With over 25,000 downloads, over 13 episodes, it has become the preeminent criminal law podcast in Canada. Listen for practical advocacy tips, business and career advice, and life-saving hacks in criminal practice. If your interest is in immigration law, listen to our podcast, Welcome Home with expert hosts Chantal Deloge and Catherine Sawicki. Informative guests in our regular What I Wish I Knew segment will be of great utility for aspiring immigration lawyers. A great way to bridge the gap between academia and practice. Give us a listen on any of your favorite podcast providers. Afternoon, Danielle, and welcome to the Law School Show, or should I say, the crossover episode between the law school show and the lawyers lounge. So, so welcome. How are you? It's a Friday. Things are good. I'm well, I'm on the cusp of March break. So, you know, in Toronto, what happens is a lot of litigators get the hell out of Dodge and uh, go somewhere with their kids on March break. I'm heading to the cottage and things tend to kind of quiet down and it's a bit peaceful and you can either not work or you can do some quiet trial prep or you can write that paper you've been meaning to write. So uh, I'm on the cusp of what I hope will be uh, a pretty engaging and relaxing week. So things are good today. We just had our reading break here out in Halifax is where I am and it was it was very relaxing. I got a few days of peace and quiet. So that's nice to hear that that still exists for it lawyers does. as well. <laughs> yeah, I, some of us are better than others at taking advantage and really kind of slowing down and pausing. And I think you've probably noticed that already in your in your law career that 
some of your colleagues are better than others at kind of tuning out and turning off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's different because of COVID and, and having sort of less interaction than I would with some students um, to sort of gauge how intense some are, but they are out there <laughs> for sure. Like the ones who live in the library and then the ones who kind of, I like clock out eventually. Um, I'm gonna go home and bake cookies or something. But yes, I have noticed that it's, we're a, an eclectic bunch for sure. The theme really of this episode is a, a law student asking a lawyer um, sort of about things that they wish that they knew or advice that they would be giving to law students uh, as they transition from being a student to, to a practicing lawyer. And I know that I think that 2L Recruit has just sort of entirely, I could be wrong, but entirely ended across Canada. And so a lot of law students have careers on the brain, or at least I do, and trying to figure out the type of law that you're interested in or, or you know, the type of law that fits you. And so my first question to you is, is how, you know, how you found your practice, your, you know, defense practice. And is that something that you discovered in school? Is that something that you knew previous to even going to law school? Because I know some people have the intention um, you know, yeah, just talk me through that of, of how you landed where you were. Yeah, I, I did not know. I thought that maybe I would um, teach because I loved my undergraduate experience and I loved being in school. And I, you know, I, I like uh, talking. I like explaining things to people. I like engaging with people. And so I thought maybe I would teach. I wasn't really sure and I got the criminal law bug like so many other criminalists in and around the country through the criminal clinic. You know, some sort of clinical experience very often triggers what becomes like a lifelong love affair. And for me, it was the criminal clinic at Dell. And, you know, Justice Barbara Beach was the, the leader of that program. She retired recently. And I don't know if she's still part of the program now, but it's a wonderful program at Dalhousie where law students get to shadow lawyers in the Crown's office, uh, lawyers on the defense side and judges doing criminal work and, and then doing other activities like mooting, um, visiting the federal penitentiary and you know engaging on special topics related to criminal law. So that's where I got the bug and many, of, <laughs> many students in my cohort did as well. And that was kind of the the thing for me, I just knew immediately when I started doing that work that, that that's what I would do for the rest of my life. And I think clinical experience is really important. And uh, I know that sometimes the clinical programs get underfunded or under-resourced and they can be threatened um, in various institutions at various times. And I think one of, and I hope I, I'm just going to give unsolicited advice throughout this interview, Maddie, so brace yourself. <laughs> like get like get in there even if you think you're going to be a solicitor I think that you know having some clinical experience in your in your law school years is really important to connect with the community and really understand how lawyers can serve the community and in, in a kind of a frontline basis I think is really really important and you know you often don't know what the thing will be until you try it. You know, you can have some instincts, but I think it's worth 
giving these things a shot. And, you know, truthfully, I might've found myself in other areas of people law. You know, I might've found myself doing employment or family, but there is a certain magic to criminal defense for sure. Yeah. So exciting. Well, thank you. I know, I, I believe, yeah, the criminal law clinic is alive and well at Dalhousie, which is great to see. I know I, um, I participated in the legal aid, the Dalhousie legal aid in my first year with not with respect to, to criminal law, but with tenancy rights. And that was an incredible experience. Yeah. And I think, again, you can go back in third year and sort of kind of, you know, tether all of the things that you learned in the classroom to actually practical experience. And I really hope that I can fit that into my schedule because I can just see that, you know, once you start practicing, it's going to help so much, I think with confidence and, and everything, but that's so, that's so exciting. And then, so was it, you know, at first when you were interested in criminal law, did you know if you wanted to act sort of more with the crown or with the defense, or is that something that you figured out with time? I am, um, just my natural orientation is defense side for sure. You know, I've always been kind of an anti-establishment kind of girl and really interested in challenging the state and challenging authority. And so that was my natural kind of lean from the outset. But I think what most criminalists will tell you is that the longer they stay in the practice, the more they tend to appreciate the other side of the courtroom and the more likely they are to be able to switch hats. So, you know, longtime criminal defense lawyers would say, yeah, I could prosecute that case, you know, no problem. And really excellent and experienced crown attorneys could equally kind of switch places in, in the courtroom. So you become, it's very interesting, you become less partisan and less partial as you move through your years and as you, you become more, more senior. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see that, that how that evolves when your colleagues become judges, you know, to see your colleagues on the crown side or on the defense side become judges and the kind of judges become. It's very interesting. So do you have any advice then for students who are interested in criminal law, but then don't know like which side of the table they want to sit on yet? Or is that like through clinical experience that, you know, you would figure that out? Yeah. yeah. Like truthfully, the best are the ones who've done both, you know, those, those people. And, and my partner, Scott Hutchison is in that category. He was um, a crown for 17 years before he went to the defense side. And, you know, he is just an absolute uh, rock star and unstoppable because of that experience. You know, um, that that's really interesting. I mean, if you can somehow build in experience on both sides, then then you're really killing it. But I, you know, I think just flow with your your gut and your instinct and where the opportunity is. You know, I don't get too hung up on it. That's for sure. You know, um, the Ontario. Crown's office was on a bit of a, a hiring blitz. I don't know if they still are. And, uh, and that's kind of rare. So I think those students that feel like, you know, I might like that kind of work, that kind of Crown work should go for it. I mean, um, there's a huge opportunity. It's amazing experience. Crowns are on their feet every day, getting tons of trial experience. And it's, it's really fun. It's a, it's a huge contribution. It's meaningful work. 
So I would never dissuade anyone who thought they were interested in, in crowning from giving it a shot. Uh, and, and kind of building off of that, then you said, you know, follow your instinct. Um, and I'm curious, like for you, when did you know that like, yes, this, you know, type of law is for me, or I guess in the inverse, how do you know when, you know, the area of law that you're currently interested in isn't for you? Like, is, was there a time for you when you were practicing other types of law and you thought, no, like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go elsewhere or yeah, if you could speak to that. Yeah, well, I, I did have a gig articling on Bay Street um, and, I, and I had lined up that position before I did the criminal clinic. So I finished my articles on Bay Street and did a litigation rotation and a corporate rotation. And, and then I worked uh, at Eddie Greenspan's office on an external rotation. So it was a real breadth of experience and I was very, very lucky. And I think, you know, it's really interesting. You're kind of caught me at an interesting time, Maddie, because, you know, now that I'm, what am I, 15 years out, 16 years out, my practice is evolving to be less exclusively criminal law. And I'm doing more cases in civil litigation, estates, um, a little bit of family, um, investigations. So my practice is really diversifying in a way that I had not predicted. And I assumed that I would be completely consumed by passion for criminal defense every day of my life until I died. And I don't think that was wrong, but I think that I was wrong about not liking other parts of the law. I think that I dismissed other parts of litigation, areas of litigation as boring, <laughs> not kind of sexy enough, you know. Um, and I was just wrong about that. I, you know, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing now and the, the cases that I'm able, so fortunate to, to work on now are just wildly interesting and challenging and, and you know, you're not, it's not the same as criminal law. You're not, you're less likely to have a trial at the end of the day, but the challenges are highly intellectual and, you know, and meeting new colleagues is so fun. And, and I was a bit close-minded in my youth, you know, I thought like criminal defense or bust and, Mm. and I, and that really kind of narrowed my perspective. And I think what I would encourage people to do, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. It's like a little bit of balance. It's a yin and yang, right? Like on the one hand, trust your instincts and, you know, follow your passion. But on the other hand, like keep a, an open mind at the same time, like, you know, pay attention in your property law class. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, never know. Know. you never know, you never know. And like the thing that's so amazing about the common law is that there are analogies to be found everywhere, right? There, there, there is a thread that, that weaves its way through all of the common law and to, to be narrow-minded really is, uh, does your, yourself a disservice and also your clients because the broader your perspective, I think the better of an advocate you are. And so, you know, just don't be exclusive in your, in your pursuits, I guess is the, the other thing I would say. And do you know then like how your practice started to evolve to incorporate like family and all of those things? Or is that like cases you were interested that you took on or how did that come about? 
Well, you know, it, it really has to do with the evolution of the firm. And because I was in a small firm um, dynamic from my call to the bar, I started practicing with Marie Hennon right after my call. And we were a firm of maybe four lawyers and we've been getting bigger and bigger every year. And we started building out a civil side of the practice, a civil litigation side of the practice about 10 years ago. And, and so as new civil lawyers join us with different, different expertise and different experiences and different books of business, I will get an opportunity to work with them, to partner with them on files. And so it's really through relation, those relationships, you know, and firm building that I've been able to expand my practice. And so that's how I've been gaining experience on the civil side. And then investigations is something that I started doing really as a corollary to the, the criminal work. Um, and so lots of criminal defense lawyers around the country do investigation work for uh, employers, uh, big institutions, other uh, agencies. And that work is really fascinating and, and really, really fun. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a, a kind of a wild ride in the last 10 years or so because of all these different opportunities that have come my, my way. And I, and I do as much as I fault my younger self for being kind of narrow-minded, I, I do think that I was right to kind of not be afraid and to take up new challenges and step out of my comfort zone and, and try new things. And I think that that helps you stay fresh and, uh, and grateful for the profession. You know, this is, it's such, um, and what I want your listeners to hear very, very clearly from me is <laughs> you did the right thing. It's really fucking expensive. Like, I'm very sorry. Your fees are really expensive. It's terrible. And it, that's a really bad problem that someone's going to have to fix sometime, but you made the right call. You did the right thing. You are about to enter a profession that will offer you like untold challenge and meaning and community. Uh, and you have the potential to be really, really happy here. And I feel like that's very validating to hear. I know, especially as like two L's in their second semester, they start to be like, Ooh, is this really the right choice? Is this worth it? Like, you know, not really like there's, especially I guess with COVID as well, there's a lot of uncertainty now, but to hear that, Right. And then even still like, you know, years into your practice, you can still shift and evolve and change. And it's, you know, nothing is set in stone. So that's is set in stone. And I, I, I wanted to kind of hear from you, Maddie, more about like what the feeling is on campus. Like how are students doing? Like, is it bleak? Like, <laughs> like what's happening? Oh gosh. I mean, whew, it's not bleak. I won't use bleak, but, and I think, you know, at least in Halifax, things are really just starting to open up. And so yeah. people are very eager to get out and about and meet up with each other. I'm off to a birthday party after our conversation, which I'm so looking forward to. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I mean, it was tough in first year. So I'm in, in second year. So really my entire first year was online, but the students that I kind of was grouped with in our sort of small groups that we've moved through school with, we're so eager to make sure that we met up like weekly and we had study groups and really trying to form those relationships because we've heard time and time again that 
these are the people, like these are your colleagues, right? These are your future colleagues. And so it's, yeah, but it's difficult. Like it, you know, not having the classroom atmosphere even to just mingle before class, mingle after class, uh, I think has changed things and has made people a little worried, you know, that when they start practice that gap between law school and reality is maybe even larger than it would have been uh, you know, had COVID not happened, but still like, you know, we still hide out in the libraries. We still like slave over textbooks together. So that hasn't changed. Um, yeah. So not bleak. Good. Hopefully. I'm really, <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad to hope it's good. Hopefully. Yeah, very much so. I know you mentioned that, you know, you started working with Marie and I really wanted to talk about this because I think it's something that a lot of law students are interested in, but from what I can gather from sort of past interviews and, and things that you've said is you were very determined to work with Marie. And, and, you know, for our listeners who don't know, she's an incredibly, also an incredibly talented defense attorney in Toronto. Definitely look her up. I think she just wrote a book, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. definitely worth uh, checking out. But, but you really pursued her as I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of a mentorship relationship, you know, in, yeah. in learning everything. And And so I'd love for you to speak about, you know, how you went about that. And then, you know, I don't know if it's changed today, but for law students, how do they find that mentorship relationship or if it's worth it really? Yeah, I mean, I I do think that finding a mentor is really important. And certainly the, the key chapter in my story is meeting Marie convincing Marie to take me on and then, you know, not leaving her side (laughs) for years is, is really, um, how I learned to do what I do. And I think that I, I worry a little bit that there's honestly, Maddie, an over-focus on finding a mentor and, and I, and I don't want my story to kind of contribute in a negative way to that, because, you know, there's a few caveats, right? Criminal law is, is a very niche and it's small community uh, and law firms tend to be small. And so that was something that was not unusual in criminal practice that you would kind of cozy up to a barrister and follow them around for years, (laughs) you know, like that, that happens at Frank Adario's office. That happened, of course, at Eddie Greenspan's office and, and at Mark Rosenberg's office and at Mark Sandler's office. And you see, you see that there, that's kind of pattern that happens in criminal law, but it's not a pattern that you see in other areas of the law necessarily. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want people to feel like this is the only way to kind of make it is to find yourself a mentor and, and criminally harass them and, and not leave their, leave their side. You know, there are, there are other, other ways to learn your craft. And I think a lot of people have been really successful in finding many mentors, you know, and others are, are really successful hanging up their shingle right after law school and figuring things out on the fly you know, getting the mentorship in uh, in kind of a patchwork way, going to CPD events, attending court and observing, you know, going to coffee with senior lawyers and kind of stitching it together in a way that works for them. And 
you know, it, it is the case that there's research that, you know, racialized lawyers, lawyers who are foreign trained, uh, lawyers from dis disadvantaged backgrounds don't get those same mentorship opportunities that I got. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's a terrible shame and we need, we need to fix that. And I know that lots of firms are making concerted efforts on the EDI front to, to change and challenge that. But I think like the other lesson is that's not, that's not a total barrier to success in this, in this profession. And you, you can make it uh, without finding your kind of Yoda. You don't need a Yoda. I had a Yoda. She's wonderful. And, and I was extremely, extremely lucky, but you don't, if that, if your Yoda doesn't come along, you, you can still have a wonderful life in this profession. So don't, you know, don't, and it's just like, there's so much pressure. Like, I don't want to put pressure on more <laughs> pressure on people that they've got to find like their guy or their, you know, yeah. and that might not happen. So, you know, I think the thing is like, to just try to soak up every experience and to, to draw as much as you can from every lawyer that you meet, that you admire, and you'll take something away, you know, even in the clinical experience that, that you do at law school. I, mm -hmm. I um, shadowed a wonderful lawyer in Halifax named Brad Sarson, who uh, was a public defender in, in Halifax. And I learned so much from him for just a, a, a few months. And so, you know, you, you just kind of have to be awake. Yeah. You got to be awake and ready to receive the lessons and the learnings. Hmm. Be the sponge. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's good to, again, like probably, hopefully for our listeners, refreshing to hear instead of having this pressure that you need to kind of go out and again, find that person. Cause I know I was told that um, that you really need to, so I was emailing firms like crazy and, and, you know, and again, still talking to people, but, you know, having that mentorship relationship in mind and, you know, worried that if I didn't have that, then yeah, for somehow you're, you're behind. So that's, that's great to hear that you can do it without a Yoda, which I love. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> it's very relevant. So that's awesome. I, I wanted to ask, I mean, a little bit about advocacy because I am interested in it, but you know, from again, past interviews that I've listened to, it seemed like before that you came to law school and, and I think probably during your undergrad, you had a wide variety of jobs in your life. I think you had mentioned that you had, you know, worked at Tim Hortons and I think worked at a go-kart track. Um, and I'm curious as to how or if sort of skills that you've pulled um, from those jobs helped you in the courtroom or things that surprised you that you're like, oh, this, like I never knew that a skill like this would translate as well as it did. Um, do you have any that, that come to mind? I think there are two, two aspects of my kind of pre-law experience that do bear on, on kind of trial advocacy. And the, the first is that if you've, if you've worked in the service industry, you've come into contact with lots of different types of people. And you, uh, I think, gain a perspective on your community and the Canadian public that you wouldn't necessarily gain otherwise. And so much of trial work is about understanding people, you know, really understanding what makes someone tick, what are incentives or disincentives for someone you know, what, 
does it mean when someone has a certain job or lives in a certain neighborhood? And, you know, you do a lot of creative thinking around how you're going to approach the witness. And there's a gap if you don't, if you're not, if you're totally disconnected from your community, you don't really understand what people are like uh, because you've spent your whole life studying in a closet <laughs> or, you know, you're, you're, you've been in an ivory tower and you don't really get people, you know? So I think those of us who've had the, 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 the privilege and the pain of waitressing and bartending and retail work and working at the go-kart track, I think, you know, you, you get to know people and, and that's really what being a trial lawyer is about. And the other piece is like something that I've realized a bit later in my career is I think there's a lot of trial lawyers that come to the work from the performance angle. And that's where I'd really be interested in your, your perspective, Maddie, like, you know, the thing that attracts them to the work is that they're going to have a bunch of eyeballs on them, you know, and that there's going to be a beginning and middle of an end of a performance. And, and that's what kind of makes them feel alive and jazzed and great about the work. And then there are other um, trial lawyers who come at it really from the kind of intellectual love of the law lens, right? It's like really the love of legal argument. And, and that's the thing that really gets them going. And then there are others who are kind of, you know, may have a background in criminology or social work, right? Where it's really about the human story. It's mm -hmm. about how someone was hurt, how they can be healed. And, mm -hmm. and then some of us have different combinations of that, of those kind of aspects. But I, what I really enjoy is meeting other lawyers, other litigators, and trying to figure that out. Like, what, are, what angle are you coming from? And that's, that's really, really fun. I, I definitely fit in the, in the performer category. I don't know. Do you think that that's, that's your slot. I mean, you're, you are an artist, like you're, you're a filmmaker. And so I would just wonder how that translates. Yeah. Um, I think I do. I mean, yeah, I'm a bit of a dramatic, so I do love the whole idea of not necessarily a performance because I think it needs to be, you know, genuine, of course, but yeah. you know, the fact that you are telling a story and really trying to figure out how like what's the most persuasive way that you could tell that. Um, and so for me, I know when I came to law school, so before that I have worked in film um, in a variety of different capacities and, you know, was had written screenplays before. Um, and that was a skill that I had no idea would translate so well to yeah. fascinating, you know, primarily even just like the layout that you have on the page and how even just adjusting it ever so slightly completely changes the feeling that when people are reading it. And so I really was shocked when I, like in, in my first year when I was writing my fact of how fun it was and how much I loved crafting that written argument. And I was just, yeah, applying everything that I had learned from there into fact and writing and it translated so well. And then when it comes to oral advocacy, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy public speaking. I loved that as a kid. I would always do like plays at home and things. So I just am imagining that when, I mean, like, to be honest though, I don't know if I've had the true experience because, you know, 1L and 2L, both of my boots have been 
on Zoom. So I'm very eager. I think within a week I get to stand up and, and finally give the whole performance that, I, that I've that i been thinking about. The, the jazz hands will come out. Definitely. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, they are, they are itching to come out. I am so excited. But um, yeah, I, that's interesting of trying though to like understand the approach that different lawyers have to advocacy. I haven't really you know, looked at it that way before, but, um, I'm so, I'm so heartened to hear Maddie that you've, you've already kind of figured out how your prior experience and passion can be weaved into practice. Like, I just think that's so great. I, I think a lot of people don't understand how creative the practice can be and, and how we really do exercise those muscles a lot. You know, I spend a lot of time, in preparation for trial, just like lying on the floor of my office, <laughs> thinking about the problem, just trying to crack it, you know, trying to figure out a creative way through to the end, you know, what's the, what's the hook. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's part of what is so exciting and so fulfilling about the work is that you, you get to kind of, you know, work out those that energy that you you have from other aspects of your life. Yeah, I, I, I again was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it because it felt so creative. I don't know, you know, obviously it's not always like that, but I, yeah. in law school, that is by far my favorite part is factum writing. We're, we're currently writing a factum and I was like working on it all before our chat today and thinking like, oh, this is so cool. Or, oh, I need to find this case because it, you know, the conclusion needs to be stronger. So that's uh, great. And like you're, you're the discipline of being able to sit down, sit your ass down and write is huge. So, you know, a lot of us, <laughs> myself <laughs> included, really struggle with that part of it you know, sitting down and writing. So if you've, you've got that self-discipline already is your uh, leg up, my friend. Well done. I'll definitely say it's sprinkled with many breaks though, but sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are, there are many snack breaks in that. So yes, but thank you. <laughs> um, I, I don't know like our time and what it's looking like, but I, I do have one question that I, um, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it a little bit before in my, in my previous questions, but that gap between law school and actual practice, I know in the lawyer's lounge episode, I think it's the most recent one you and Marie were talking about how law school is really kind of reform thinking school and it teaches you how to think, but then it, you know, in practice, you get sort of those day-to-day -day skills. But did you notice that when you graduated from law school to initial practice, that there was kind of this flailing moment and then you, and then you find your way or was it seamless? Or, and I guess things you could do to help. I, mean, with I, I think it's really interesting. I think it goes back to your last question. I think because I had spent so uh, much of my uh, life working part-time jobs and interacting with the public and um, attempting to present myself in a professional way that I think it maybe was less of a awkward transition for me than for some of my colleagues who, you know, had spent most of their time studying, you know, working uh, at school as opposed to in the world. And you know, so I think, I think I had a bit of an advantage in that respect that I didn't, I didn't feel awkward speaking to clients, inter interviewing witnesses, you know, attending business meetings. I felt a bit, I felt a bit awkward, uh, 
you know, in, in, in like those usual ways, like, am I wearing the right shoes? Does my blazer fit properly? You know, that sort of thing. But um, I, I felt prepared for life as a professional, I guess, is what I would say. But I think like the thing that, that I would recommend your listeners start thinking about, and, it, and it's not it's low key, okay? Like don't freak out, but is the business of law. Hmm. No, I think you don't, you're not going to learn anything about that in law school and you shouldn't, but just start to like, think about it. And when you do, if you're doing something in, in the summer, just try to pay attention to, you know, how is your time being billed out to a client? How did this lawyer uh, get this mandate? How did this come into their lap? Hmm. Was it through a relationship? Did it come through someone in the firm? Is it someone that they go to church with? Is it someone they ski with? Like, how did this business come to the lawyer that you're working with? And how is your time being charged to the client? And just keep your eye on it. Like, take a, just observe it and take notice of it. And I think that's all you really need to do this summer and, and through your articles. But, you know, I think understanding how the business of law works is your ticket to independence, autonomy, and power as you move through the profession. And so there's, there's so much to learn and think about, and you really want to focus on being good at what you're, what you're being asked to do, right. As a student, but just stay alive to that because it'll become important later and don't ignore it because it's boring. Okay. Cause it is a bit boring. Like some of us are just not really interested in the money part, but the money part is really important to your future. So just pay attention. Okay. No, I'm sure that's great. I mean, I don't think I've had that piece of advice before of like, look, there's this whole other side of it, especially if you do choose to work, you know, in a big firm, or if you're interested in creating your own firm that yes, like there is an entire, there's the business side of it. So um, thank you. That's, oh, that's good advice. And I, uh, I mean, I have one more question for you. I don't know how we are on time at all. I've definitely lost track of it. Um, like the final, like, is there anything you would have done differently in your legal career? Not regrets, but something that you thought like, well, I either, I mean, I guess there's opportunity in everything, but anything at all, either like in school, was there something that you thought like, oh, I should have, you know, joined more clubs or taken these different classes or, or anything of that sort? I am, um, I definitely, so I, two, two things that fall in the regret category. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have paid more attention in certain classes, like for sure. Like I really, <laughs> which classes I'm like, oh, no. I like property <laughs> and tax. And I definitely should have paid more attention. Definitely. Definitely. I really, really regret that. And the second thing is I had my kids pretty shortly after law school. So I had my kids when I was 29. Mm. And so I was in my second year of practice when I had my kids and I, I kind of let some of my law school relationships go and, um, and I think it's because I was, you know, I was either, uh, dealing with family stuff or dealing with practice stuff. And I didn't leave any room for friend stuff. And 
and I let some of those relationships go. And, and I really regret that because, you know, they, these were friends and colleagues that were, I was really close with at law school. And there's kind of no substitute for that team of people. And, um, you know, some of them have subsequently been repaired and, and I know some of them are going to get back to you in good time and, and it'll be fine in the end, but I do regret losing touch with that community and, and I ought to have made it a priority. And I hope that, that your listeners do hold those friendships close and dear. I'm comforted by the, the feedback that, that law students are feeling hopeful. I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, I would say that, you know, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to local lawyers in, in your communities. And, and if you, you don't come from a legal background and, you don't know any lawyers in, in, in your network, you know, you should reach out to a, a local lawyer and, and ask to have coffee and get to know how their practice works. And, you know, don't be shy about that. Lawyers are super accommodating, most of us, and, um, and really want to help out. And I think, I think the whole profession wants to help out. I've not spoken to a lawyer in the last two years who hasn't expressed deep sorrow that law students are mostly remote. I mean, everyone um, really feels for you guys and um, you should be commended for getting through in these extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, resilience is not nothing, baby. Like being able to get through in these times is not nothing. So it will serve you well in the future. And, and um, so we feel for you, but we're proud of you also. Oh, oh, thank you. I'm passing this along. I mean, to all of our listeners, and to now like all at the birthday party today, I'm like, Danielle Robitai says this, we're doing fine. So they're like, great. Um, so thank you for that. That's wonderful. I mean, I, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I've learned so much and you've, you've calmed a lot of my fears and hopefully a lot of our listeners fears that we have about some of the uncertainty, uh, sort of the mystique of, of the legal world. So this has been this has been truly, truly wonderful. Thank you. Oh, so for... great, Maddie. I'm happy to chat. Okay. Well, I will. I let you go. I know it's Friday. I am well aware that you have a vacation to attend to. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we chat again soon and have have a great vacation. Take the time that Thank you need. You. Thank you. Have a great party tonight. You've just been listening to the Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time, on The Law School Show.